Max Lucado is a famous Christian author. Uh, he's a preacher down in Texas. And he tells the story of a time that he got dropped by his insurance company, his automobile insurance. Seems he had had too many speeding tickets. He had had one minor uh, wreck, which was not actually his fault, but he received a letter in the mail informing him to seek coverage elsewhere. He said he reflected on how he wasn't good enough for the insurance company. The spiritual tie-in was too obvious, writes Mac. Many people fear receiving such a letter from God. Some worry that they already have. Locato then imagines this correspondence straight from the Pearly Gates underwriting division. Dear Mrs. Smith, I'm writing in response to this morning's request for forgiveness. I'm sorry to inform you that you have reached your quota of sins. Our record shows that since employing our services, you have erred seven times in the area of greed, and your prayer life is substandard when compared to others of like age or circumstance. Further review reveals your understanding of doctrine is in the lower 20 percentile. You have excessive tendencies to gossip. Because of your sins, you are such a high-risk candidate for heaven. You understand that grace has its limits. Jesus sends his regrets and kindest regards and hope you will find some other form of coverage. Of course, that's fictitious and it's not true. But, you know, it, it, it comes to mind and calls to mind that we all have some kind of sin in our lives. And maybe we all feel we're not good enough. Uh, maybe your sin is not too many speeding tickets but it could be something else maybe there's a little pride in your life and, and you have a tendency to think of yourself more highly than you ought to or perhaps your, your sin uh, might be telling little white lies especially at work trying to stay out of trouble you know you tell some lies or it, it, it could be uh, all sorts of things maybe your sin is a little worse than that Maybe you are involved in an adulterous situation. Or maybe you've done some really bad things. You've actually hurt other people. You've done physical things to other people. Maybe you got caught up in addiction to alcohol or drugs. Or perhaps uh, you have done terrible crimes and embezzled money. Who knows all the crimes that have been committed by the people that are hearing my voice today. But the Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've done that to our own detriment. The Bible speaks against sin. Harv got up early one Sunday morning to head off to church. His wife was not feeling well, so Marge stayed home. When Harv got back home, Marge was curious about the service. She asked, how was it? Harv said it was good. She said, what did the preacher preach on? He preached on sin. Well, what did he say about sin? Well, he's against it. And God is against it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And because of our sin, we deserve punishment from God. All sin is rebellion against God, whether it's a, a big bad sin or just a little small tiny sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment 
do us is death. That's pretty bad. But there's hope. There is hope even for the sinner. Yes, there is. And we started this series last week called Hope is Alive. And we believe that hope is still alive. There's an outline of the message in your bulletin today. And we're going to begin to think more about hope. We talked last week about the hope of fellowship. And we know that Jesus has called us to partake of the Lord's Supper each Sunday when we gather around together. But today we're going to think about the hope of forgiveness. Because you see, if we're sinners, we all need to be forgiven of our sin. So I raise the question, why is forgiveness so important? Do you know that God is a loving God? Yes, He is. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to love you. That's God's main attribute, is love. God is also a truthful God. And God is also a just God. And God has said in His Word, sin must be punished. That, that sounds bad to us. And it sometimes is a hard pill to swallow. Uh, but we have to always uh, understand that we may not always understand uh, why God does what He does. But part of believing God and believing in God is to trust that He is a loving God, that He is a truthful God, that He is a just God. And we also think about another attribute that God is a graceful God. And that's where the forgiveness part comes in. I'd like for you to turn today to Luke chapter 23. We're continuing in the last few chapters of the book of Luke for this series. And today we're going to, to uh, think about the next thing that happened in Jesus' life. Of course, we looked last week in chapter 22 where Jesus uh, met with his apostles, uh, enjoyed the Passover celebration meal. He established the Lord's Supper ceremony there. And after that supper, they went out and they went to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. It was there that Jesus offered a prayer, and, but it was also there that Judas had betrayed him and brought the Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus. We back up just a minute and think about the first day of that week. Jesus had entered the town of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's the way a king comes to town. Now, if a king is bent on war, he rides a stallion. But if he comes in peace, he rides on a donkey. And Jesus had come into town riding on a donkey, symbolic of his kingship, but also that he was coming in peace. The people shouted that day, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. And Jesus came in a friendly way. He spent time that week teaching in the towns around Jerusalem and, and in Jerusalem, even in the, the courtyards of the temple, he taught. Then he had that supper on Thursday night, and then he was arrested. Early Friday morning, the Jewish officials met. They wanted him put to death. He was gaining in popularity. They thought he was blasphemous, claiming to be the Son of God. The Romans had no law against this, but they wanted to trap him. They wanted, for some reason, the Roman 
to punish him. And so they, they trumped up this charge of Jesus claiming to be king, which he never denied. He was taken before Pilate, the Roman governor. And those who were crying Hosanna at the beginning of the week now began to cry, crucify, crucify him. Pilate could really find no charge against him. When he asked Jesus if he were a king, Pilate, uh, uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate thought it was all nonsense. But to appease the Jewish ruling officials, Pilate sentenced Jesus to be crucified on a Roman cross. As Jesus went to the cross that day, he was surrounded by all sorts of people. We read in Luke, beginning at verse 26, about a man named Simon of Cyrene who had to carry the cross because Jesus had been beaten so badly he buckled under the weight of that cross. There were a large number of people that followed it said and even women who mourned after those who were being crucified had followed along. We come to verse 32 and this is what it says. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus was willing to give his life to bring forgiveness. He willingly went to that cross that day. He asked for forgiveness for those who were crucifying him, those who had sentenced him, those who were against him. He could have easily gotten out of this if he would have told the Jewish officials, oh, I'm, I'm going to stop all this nonsense of claiming to be the Son of God. I'll just go away quietly. He could have told Pilate, definitely I'm not a king, but he didn't. He had to tell the truth. And God had sent him to be their Messiah. That means anointed one in the Hebrew language. In the Greek language, the word is Christ. They both mean anointed one. They mean the king. The people, uh, Jewish people, have been waiting for for hundreds, even thousands of years now for this one that would be their special Messiah. He would be their Savior. He would lead them out of this punishment that they were uh, experiencing and oppression because of the Roman government. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to this Messiah who would one day come. And Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. In Isaiah chapter 53, it tells about how he will suffer. Isaiah writes, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Isaiah prophesying some 700, 750 years before Jesus came, pointed to this Messiah saying that he will come. He will bear our sins. That's important. God desires to forgive our sins because God is a loving God. But sin alienates us from God. It separates us from this holy God. And Scripture, again, says the wages of sin is death. And as we studied last week, it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. The Apostle Peter preaching in the book of Acts, the second gospel sermon that he preached that is recorded here, He's talking about the crucifixion. In chapter 3 of Acts, verse 17, he says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. God sent Jesus. He sacrificed himself. It was a thankless job. I, I think one of the most sacrificial jobs that there is in our culture today is being a teacher of little kids or or special needs kids. I know several teachers that work with little kids, and it can be difficult. It can be very rewarding, but it can be frustrating. One teacher had kids that came in, and, and they, uh, uh, it was a cold day, and it was wet and rainy, and, and after nap time, one little boy had taken his boots off, and it was time to go home, and she was helping all the kids get their clothes on and mittens and their their coats, and this one little boy was having trouble getting his boots on. and So she went over to help, and they struggled to get the boots on, and finally she got them on in side relief, and the little boy said, they're on the wrong feet. So she ripped them off and switched feet and struggled again to get them on. Finally she got them on, the little boy said, they're not my boots. She jerked them off, and he said, they're my brother's boots. My mama made me wear them today. So she started putting them back on, and finally she got them on, stood up, and she said, Now, where's your mittens? I stuffed them in the boots because I didn't want to lose them. You know how frustrating it can be sometimes. Imagine God dealing with us, telling us sin displeases him. And over and over again, for all those who look to Jesus as their Savior, He brings about forgiveness. He provides that grace that we all need 
Verses 35 and 38 tell us about the crowd that was there that day. There were ordinary people. There were some rulers. They sneered and they made fun of Jesus as he was being crucified. They mocked him. They made a sign and put it up on the cross. King of the Jews. It was the Roman practice to list the sins that people were being crucified for. That was Jesus' sin. Two criminals were there as we've seen, two thieves. One mocks, the other rebukes the one that mocked, and it seems that he admits his sin and admits that Jesus is innocent. I tend to think that thief that day came to believe in Jesus. Look at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Do you, don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence that we are, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As I read that, I thought it's never too late to find forgiveness. Here the thief is hanging on the cross. And Jesus makes a promise. No matter what you've done, no matter what terrible things you've thought about, no matter what you're even doing and involved in right now, there's still hope. The repentant thief had been an evil man in his day. Now he's hanging on a cross, dying. But he's turned to Jesus for hope. And because he showed faith and a repentant spirit, Jesus offered him the hope he needed. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And when we think about the word paradise, I think we usually think of something like Hawaii. Beautiful picture laying on a beach, palm trees, blue oceans. The word actually came from a Persian word. It means garden or wooded park or fruit trees, but a special kind of place, a, a peaceful, blissful, happy place. And the Jews took that to develop their theology as they began to think about resurrection. And they began to think about when a person dies and that their soul goes away somewhere until the resurrection. And they called that place paradise. In the New Testament, it is mentioned three times. Paul helps us understand this in 2 Corinthians 5.8 when he talks about the fact that when a, a person dies, their, their spirit or their soul separates. Be absent from the body, he said, is be present with the Lord. So the soul goes to be with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, or, or in, here in Luke 23.43, Jesus said, to the thief, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's where Jesus was going. 2 Corinthians 12, 4, the apostle Paul talks about he got called up to paradise to meet with Jesus. He didn't know whether it was in the body or his spirit separated and went there, but he 
he met with Jesus in paradise. Revelation 2.7, the third time that it's mentioned in the New Testament, says that all those who have placed their faith in Jesus will earn the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So when it talks about paradise, it's talking about the place where God is, where Jesus went. It's heaven. Jesus is coming back one day, the Bible says, and when he does, this earth will be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible says, a place where all those who are believers will dwell. There's hope. There were other people around the cross that day. Look at verse 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness this saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. You know, you, you may not understand his death, but recognize there is something in Jesus praiseworthy a lot happening here this darkness in the middle of the day is unusual the curtain of the temple was torn in two it's talking about the curtain in the innermost part of the temple that divided a, a place called the holy of holies from the rest of the temple only the high priest could go in to the holy of holies nobody else even could look in there that was thought to be the dwelling place of God. That curtain was ripped in two, signifying now that we all have access to God. The centurion, he praised God as he looked at the death of Jesus. He recognized there was something special about this man. I think that he became a believer that day. Some in the crowd beat their breast, a, a sign of remorse. They were remorseful that this good man, this righteous man, had to die on a cross. They didn't understand it all at the time. But they knew there was something special going on. He didn't deserve what he got. They didn't understand it all. But they recognized God had done something amazing. Something worthy of praise. Jesus said, recorded in John 12, 32, When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. It's not just for the Jewish people that were there that day. It's from people from everywhere. From every tribe, from every nation, from every country, from every continent. And one day all will bow before Jesus. There were some there that knew Jesus, and they, they watched, but they didn't really understand it all yet. 
And maybe you're here today and you don't understand it all. But Jesus died for you. And he died for me. And he died for every person that's ever walked on this earth. And they don't need that holy of holies anymore where they had to sacrifice a lamb each year and make atonement for the sins of the Jewish people because Jesus was a human lamb. And he died and paid the penalty once for all. There was another man that was in that crowd. He stood out. Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good upright man who had not consented in their decision and action. He was against crucifying Jesus. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb and cut, cut out in a rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Joseph of Arimathea, we're told in the book of John, chapter 19, that he had become a believer in Jesus. He, along with another man mentioned in John, Nicodemus, another one of the ruling council, had taken Jesus' body to bury it. Again, a sign that they believed. They believed. They might not have understood it all, but they believed that Jesus was that Messiah. And our connection today, in Jesus, the hope of forgiveness is found by all who will believe. What about you? Do you really believe? You know, the Bible teaches us that if we believe that we should admit that we are sinners, that we should believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, that we should confess that we believe that He is our Lord and Savior, that we should demonstrate our faith by Repentance, telling God we're sorry and that we should be baptized into Christ. And then he calls us to engage in his local church and begin to learn and study and come more and more to know and understand what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did at that amazing day when he actually submitted himself to be nailed to a cross. There was a young boy, he was a teenager, he was struggling, he was struggling with his uh, school work and his parents decided that he needed to go to a private school. They heard about this Catholic school that had done a good job with troubled kids and so they took him over to the, to the uh, Catholic school for a visit. They checked it out and it was an older church building. They saw all the old paintings and pictures of the apostles on the wall, stained glass windows. In the foyer of that church was a, a crucifix, Jesus hanging on a cross. 
and they looked at that. It was bloody and gory. They weren't very religious and didn't think much about it, but the boy started attending school there. His grades improved. First semester, he got his report card, and in social studies, he got a B plus. It was better than he'd ever done. English, he got an A-. minus. In uh, um, other classes, he got Bs and B pluses and As. Finally, math had been his worst subject, and he got a A plus in math. And the parents sat down with the boy and praised him for how he turned his grades around. What was it about that school? What, what was it that brought those grades up? He said, I've got to tell you, when I walked into that place and I saw they had that guy nailed to that plus sign, I knew they meant business. And you know, you may look at the cross and you think about it. It seems kind of negative. But we ought to see it as a plus. Because Jesus went to the cross for you, for me. He died willingly on that cross that we might know salvation. So you may not understand it all, but you turn to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. And he will send his spirit to begin to guide you and teach you into all truth. And you will be guaranteed a place in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you today for many blessings you have given us. We thank you for Jesus and what he did. Despite all the turmoil that surrounded him, the, the ridicule and the mocking, and the beatings, and being nailed to a cross, Lord, he willingly did it that we might come to know salvation. So help us not to take that light. And help us to turn to him and seek your salvation. In Christ's strong name, we pray and praise. Amen.